Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. these thoughts and conversations and they don't really translate into a sermon, but can I just give you some kind of geeky thoughts for just a moment? (laughs) You know, Jesus would teach about parables about, you know, fig trees and farming and stuff like this, and we have a little bit more glimpse into science at this point, and I don't think they're here today, but Patrick, some of you know know Patrick and Taylor back there, he and I met uh, Friday, and we were talking, and we were talking physics, and we're talking that eternal dimension. And this is not my sermon. Don't worry, I'll, I'll get to that in just a minute. We're not going to abandon the series. But, like, you know, it tells us in Romans that the things that you can see or the things that you can't see. Oh, thank you, sir. The things that you can't see are clearly understood by the things that you can see. What is that, Romans 120? Think about that. For the things that you can't see are clearly understood by the things that you can see. So that means the things that we can observe, you know, about nature, about the, basically what science affords us. You know, it's just, science is just a description of the way God created things, right? So in physics, now I might, might get John's help back there on this, but in, there's like four major forces. There's gravity, there's uh, electromagnetic energy, there's... Weak energy and strong. What are the four? But so all of physics is built on these four forces and everything is observed and you factor these ideas in and and they have an effect on everything. But they're measurable and they're real and they affect our everyday physical lives. And we got to talking about, now some of this stuff, you kind of just have to open your heart and, and let yourself, you know, kind of you're not necessarily going to find a scripture for this, and you're not necessarily going to find a doctrine for this per se, but you find descriptions of these concepts. You know, it talks about peace that passes understanding, right? In other words, that's better than understanding. And then you talk, Steve's over there, you're smiling. You probably know the fourth one, don't you? Okay. (laughs) But then it, is that all four? But then it talks about faith, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is not just this nebulous concept that you got to try to figure out how to have enough of. You know what I mean? It's a substance. It's a tangible thing. It's just in spirit form. And we look at spirit as if it's distant and it doesn't mean anything. In this realm, it's something with the future, and I don't really know how to connect to it. But it's like, what if heaven or that eternal dimension has a physics to it, and it's actually more real than what we have here. In other words, you can observe the forces of nature and understand physicality or material, the material world through these forces. What if heaven or the eternal dimension is built on forces as well? I think they would be built on love. What if love is like gravity? in function, right? Think about it for a minute. Gravity, it's actually very weak, but it's incredibly useful, right? I mean, it's impactful in our lives every day or else we'd just be floating right off the planet, you know? But what if love is tangible and and felt like gravity? 
And it's coming from God, right? And it, and it is something that is active and something that can ground you and something that can move on you and act upon you. And do and you know what I mean? It's not just, you know, because if I say I love you, there's nothing really exchanged there. You might feel something. I might can do an act towards you and for you. You know what I mean? But like love, it's subjective almost. But what if it's more than that? What if it actually is, especially the love of God that comes to us from his own heart? What if it's like gravity? Or what if it's like electromagnetic energy? It's something that's measurable with substance that's tangible that has an actual physical effect on us. God is love, the very root of what he... So faith being the substance of things hoped. What if peace is a real force in that eternal dimension that you actually can interact with, right? And peace brings wholeness. It's a, and I'm going to get to Ephesians 3 at the... I guess I'm just going to go ahead and make this part of the message. I don't know what do you say. Anyway, <laughs> Ephesians 3, we get to where you are made whole by the love of God. See, we hear these kinds of intangible concepts and we think, well, how does God's love make me whole? I can't see him. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know what he's thinking. How does his love for me actually make me whole? You know, what if something actually is really happening within your soul and in your heart and in your mind and subsequently the rest of your being that is a very real thing, a very tangible thing. It's spiritual, it's more real than what's temporary, and it's affecting you. Like right now, in this moment, do you, are you aware that God loves you? Yeah. You know, tell me what gravity feels like. Y'all just making stuff up. You don't know what it feels like. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Where is it? Point to it. Show it to me. You know? You know what it's doing. Some of us more than others. Sorry. Maybe there's just more of you to love. I don't know. You know? Church people, I think we miss the relational aspect of God being real, spirit being real, because it's like, well, it doesn't matter what I feel. I don't live by my feelings. It's like, you know, you know what? Yes, there are feelings that are not in line with what God would cause you to feel when you actually interact with him. But what if there are actual emotions that are inspired? I mean, what, what if the, that... You know, here's, here's what I want you to walk away with this, and then I'll kind of move on. That peace that you feel, that, that kind of airy type of environment, that, that sense of self-control that you feel in a moment of inspiration, that's not just a random reaction. That is a fruit of the love of God in you. You know, imagine a tree out there and the life that's flowing through that tree that is actually chemically interacting to grow an apple or grow an orange. That peace that you feel, it is an organically grown aspect of the spirit of the living God within you, and it's real. And now, you can't flip to the other side where we're trying to chase emotional experiences, but like Mike said, you choose what you build memorials to. That is such a good word. 
I'm, man, that is incredible. I am going to remember that. I'm using it in counseling. I mean, I might even develop something around that. I don't know. It's like you are building a memorial to your past. You have the memorial that you have built. Do you guys know the story, you know, like when they crossed the river? I mean, he mentioned it, but God would tell them that. And in generations to come, they would talk and they would point back to these memorials and they would say, you see that pile of rocks? That is when our God did this. And it was a physical thing that they, we have emotional memorials that we've built and we go back to those emotions and you re-experience that stuff again and again and again and again and again and you think that's who you are. You know, build some memorials. Testimonies to his love for you because where we're going is not just a subjective emotional experience. It, it is essential to your transformative process for you to be able to feel God's love for you. Well, I'm just not a very emotional person. That's okay. That's all right. It doesn't have to be some wild thing. Maybe for you, it's just a, it's a sense of safety. You know what I mean? Maybe once love manifests within you, it's a sense of you just, you just get still, a sense of security, just a, just a general sense of peace, you know? And it's real. You can begin to trust that. And that's the environment you want to get to when you're praying, you know, when life is off the rails and everybody else's life around you is off the rails. What are you going to do? Do you know how to let your heart be influenced by the spirit of the living God to that place of peace, and then begin to live from that place of peace. It's, it's vital. It is the path of transformation. It is what the world is waiting to see, a group of people that have some type of solutions, that have some type of answers, you know? And, and it's, 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 I think it puts you in the consistent environment to actually keep the commandments of Jesus. We'll go this path for a minute. Which are, what are his commandments? What are the commandments of Jesus? Love God, one, love one another. <coughs> Pretty much. I mean, there are other teachings and there are other things that he says. He reveals the will of God you know, don't be getting drunk, don't, all these kinds of things, you know, that he expresses as his will. But as far as the commandments, and, and he gives, he gives um, what do you call that thing when he says, you know, go lay hands on the sick, raise the dead, cast out the devil? Commission. commission, that word. He has, com, he has a commission, but commandments are love God, love one another. For you to walk in love toward one another, especially the ones who are unlovely, especially the ones that you have a reason not to love. When you walk in love toward them, they have an opportunity to make a decision, and the world is watching. I promise you, when you're in conflict with people, there's somebody watching, and they're, waiting, they're wondering how you're going to handle it. Love is not a doormat. Love is not codependent. You know, love is not weak. And I, 
Go and review 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is. When it says love believes all things, that doesn't mean that love lives in denial. If you know what I'm saying. I, I almost think it should, it, it, I, you know, I'm not saying the Bible's wrong, but in my mind when I hear that, love believes all things are possible. You know what I mean? It's not that you're just, you know what I'm saying. Jesus is pressed, you know, by the lawyers and the Pharisees and the attorneys, the people that had all this stuff worked out. The people that were declaring to represent God, he was pressed by them. What does he know? Is this guy, he's preaching with power. Something's going on with this guy. What does he know? What is, what's different? Let's, I know, let's test him on the law. And so these are the kinds of responses. Matthew 7, 12. So let me just kind of, I'm just going to bring it to a screeching halt for just a moment and just kind of remind where we are. We're in number six of this series of the core beliefs and foundation, you know, core values of the church. Where we are this week is love people. Last week was trust God, this week love people. And it's intentional. Trust God, love people are the commandments of Jesus and they're right in the middle of where we are. Love people. Now, I'm going to go through some things that I've preached before, and they're just, it's just basic scripture, but I, I want us to realize we have, under commandment, a job to do on this planet from Christ. Love one another. When Jesus is pressed, he says this, Matthew 7, 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. I mean, how many of us actually live by that? Do to others what we want them to do for us. Now, again, I'm not talking about you violate your conscience. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, being irresponsible with finances. I'm not talking about codependency. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Love is healthy, right? Love is healthy. Love understands boundaries. Love understands the, the need for that other person to take responsibility where they are and move forward, you know? But love empowers them and encourages them as they go. Tells them the truth sometimes. But he says, I mean, what if we live by this? I'm going to do for others what I want them to do for me. And I don't mean you get to be selfish and immature about it either. Well, if I was them, I'd buy me a Lamborghini. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, if I was them, I'd quit doing this. Well, you don't get to judge them. But if you had their best interest at heart, you know, like I'm hearing the Lord, and he says, I don't know that I really, he says, he says, I became them so that I could die for them. God so loves you that what he wanted to do for you is become you. So he could die in your place to bring you from death to life. You know, people will say, anti-theists will say, let me get this straight. Your God created you, hates you, became like you, sacrificed himself to himself 
for something that you didn't do wrong in the first place. And you think of it and you're like, oof. It challenges what you believe, but, but that's a legalistic perspective of God needing a sacrifice to accept something. The real issue is you are dead. And humankind could not access eternal life. But because God is eternal life, came into humanity and became like us and destroyed everything that was separating us from him. That's what it's about. The blood is about life, an exchange of life. That's why the blood. That's why the blood of Jesus was spilled. And all those animals before that was a foreshadowing and a temporary atonement and a foreshadowing of what the real thing would be in Christ. Do you see that? That's God. And Jesus, it was, no, it was no picnic. Three times he prayed in that garden, God, I, I don't know about this. If there's any other way, let this cup or this lot in life or this thing that I'm about to experience, let this pass from me. You know, it wasn't just putting on a show. He knew what was coming. He knew that on that cross, he was going to be the curse of the law, to take upon himself and in himself every ounce of God's wrath and anger towards sin, which then lived in humankind and still does in those that have not received him. I mean, that's what it's about. And when you understand, you have to understand God's love for you in order to love people. You have to understand that God looked at you and judged you as dead, a sinner, cut off from him, not having kept his law, not able to live with him, and died you in that place. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The ungodly he died for. See, this is the attitude we have to have toward our brothers and sisters. This is the attitude we have to have toward our spouses and our children and our grandparents. Much less the Islamic extremist that's coming in and maybe he's planning his neck. I mean, you hear these stories, and I'm just picking those guys out because it's so, there's so much terror around it. But those guys had jobs. You know, some of those people worked with each other, rubbing elbows with some people. And it's like, what, this guy, you know? And I know that OM and Sally's doing this thing. It's like, well, you know, it's love. It's love that's going to make the difference. So Jesus says, I mean, so what if we live that way? Do to others what you would have them do to you. Maybe this week, remember this, you know, the golden rule. And, and, and you have somebody in your life. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Some of you are instantly thinking, oh, no. <laughs> really? Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean what they did is Okay. At all. What they need to experience from you is what you experience from God. 
God recognized where you were, knew it, and extended a hand out of it. And it's up to you if you take it or not. You can't, you know, if you, if you get confused of how I'm, well, how am I supposed to love this person? Well, go through and understand what God did for you, how Christ executed that, and how you enter into that, and how you experience that relationship now forward in God. What does he do for you? How does he empower you to live and make choices for yourself, right? So, you know, you understand best how to love others when you understand this relationship with God that you're in through Christ. So these are some passages that in John 13, 34, in the progression of where I'm going to go from here, just three more passages, it just, to me, it's, it's God's strategy for his family. You're reading it already. I'll just go ahead and read it. A new command, this is Jesus, red letters. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, what happens if you, since it's a commandment, and he says you must do it, what if you don't do it? What's he going to do to you? What did you say? Think about it. I, I'm... So it's kind of an obvious answer, but I'm making a point. All right. Thou shalt not kill. You kill, you get stoned. You shall love one another. You don't do it, what happens? You, you get the point? The commandments of Christ only come with benefit and blessing. There's no penalty for breaking new covenant commandments because they're not associated with righteousness. They're associated with relationship. They're associated with promise. They're associated with commission, assignment. And if you don't do it, you are... And these, you know, these are my words that I'm going to say, but you, you constrict the influence of God in whatever area it is that you should be walking in this love. Yeah. His commandments are associated with life. Yeah. His life in us. Amen. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is incredible. Verse 35, John 13, 35. By this, your love for one another, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Some people are thinking, well, I don't really want them to know that I'm a disciple. They're going to make fun of me. I'm not going to know how to answer that question. You know, you following me? It's not cool to be a Christian. So you got you to work through that. But I, I think he's telling us the truth here, right? I mean, to me, this is incredibly profound. It's incredibly simple, but it is the strategy for the body of Christ on this planet. Love one another. Buy your love for one another. They will know that you're my disciples. Your marriage, man. I tell you what, the way, there's something different about you guys. What is it? What's different about what's going on? Well, you know, I'll tell you what, we follow, we follow Jesus. He's taught us to love. He's changed our hearts. You know, we're, I can't explain it, but it's just, that's just it. And so people will listen and they'll watch. 
how you treat your kids, how you treat your coworkers, what kind of boss you are, you know, your love. And again, it's not that you, it's not favoritism. It's, it's, it's something spiritual. John 17, 20. This is basically the same teaching that he's going through here, but he gets to the culmination. Now, this is incredible to me. John 17 is Jesus right before he gets arrested, and you are what's on his mind. He's praying by himself, and either the, the author, it was revealed to them what he said, or they were nearby listening, but this is Jesus praying to his father. You, you ever read those? And it says, and Jesus was on the mountain by himself all night long praying. You wonder what he was praying? This is the kind of stuff he was praying. He's praying about you, praying for you. He still is. He's, he's our intercessor, interceding from that heavenly realm. And he's praying stuff like this. And ultimately what he's praying is that they love one another. Watch. John 17, 20. My prayer is not for them alone, them meaning his immediate disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Is that you? Verse 21. That all of them may be one. Now this is after he gave the commandment, love one another. The fruit of us loving one another is that we're one. In another place, he teaches, he says, the reason that we have the fivefold ministry in place is, yes, for the equipping of the saints to carry the ministry of reconciliation, but so that we would come into the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Not the unity of the knowledge of proper doctrine, the unity of the knowledge of whether or not the gifts are for today, but the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Amen. That is what we're looking for. That is what we are seeking to express as a body of Christ. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. I mean, how impossible does that seem? Think about it. All of, the, all of them that are in Christ are one, that they would be one, they'd all come into the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. You know, I don't, I don't know that that necessarily means we start all preaching the same kinds of things or even believe exactly the same kinds of things. Maybe it just means we, start, we stop doubting each other's salvation. Stop doubting whether or not we're right. Stop warning each other about people who are just preaching the gospel. You know what I mean? Is this resonating with you? Because I think this is, to me, it's, it's, it's the strategy of the body of Christ, love. That they may be one, Father, just as you are in me. It's incredible. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be one in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our love toward one another creates a unity with one another that convinces the world to believe that God sent Jesus into the earth. Isn't that what it says? May they also be one in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. That's the fruit of it. The world will believe that God sent Jesus into this earth, not when we convince them apologetically the 
impossibility of Jesus fulfilling all those prophecies, although that's interesting and it helps some people in their thinking. But again, we talked about love sometimes feels like this intangible, right? Well, what does it matter if I feel the love of God or not? I've got the Bible. I've got this. I just know what it says, and this is it. I don't need to feel nothing. There's something in this. He's not, this is not, there's not a lot of deep theology in this. This is a very emotional, expressive, relational description of what should be happening amongst us in the body of Christ. And then the fruit of that is God, or people believe that God sent Jesus into the world. I'm going to finish this. I'll be right there. I have given them the glory that you gave me. What? I mean, he's, he's, it's like he wants those that read this prayer for us to elevate our self-worth. And we get our self-worth based on the value that he has placed on us. And the value that he has placed on us is the exact same glory that he gave Jesus. The worth that Jesus has to the Father has been given to you. You are as valuable to the Father. He says, the same glory you gave me, I have given them. You know who you are? Know what God did for you. Know who you are in him so that you can love one another, so that the world will believe. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I, I mean, watch this. I in them, you in me, so that we may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Incredible. Ephesians 3.14. Some people are saying there's no hope for the world. It is sliding directly into hell, and it's getting darker and darker and darker, but we're going to get brighter and brighter and brighter, and the, world's, the planet's going to blow up, and God's going to show up and kill two-thirds of people on this planet. And, and it's like, oh, man, you know, I mean, I realize there's some things that, in the future to happen. But when Jesus is praying, do you think that he's praying from the place that his church, his body on this earth can actually change this world? Or is he just checking out saying, eh, let it burn. We'll just all be spiritual one day. Yeah, I, I, I'm, that's just, that, that's where I go with it, right? I don't look at the future and say there's no hope. I look at the future and say, the body of Christ has got to come together. The way that it comes together is I experience God's love for me. I know my value in him so that I can turn. Because see, if I know it for me, I can know it for you. I can look at you and say, man, this, this incredible sense of value and worth that I feel now because of Jesus, what he did for me, you mean he's got it for you too? I, mm, I, I, I might need to treat you a little bit differently. I might need to do for you what I would want God to do for me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about Bugattis and mansions. I'm talking about the kind of love for one another that causes the world to believe. Because it's about 
the world believing that God sent Christ into the earth. That's the fruit of it all. That's, that is the ultimate fruit of what he wants of our, the body of Christ to do is to express this love for one another so the world will believe. Ephesians 3.14. Now, to me, there's just so much in here. Aside from this being, to me, like the, the, the clearest explanation of the mechanics of grace like a working explanation of what grace is, and it doesn't even use the word grace in here. To me, it's, it's, a, it's an explanation of how grace works. He also addresses love in here. So knowing that God loves you, knowing the value that God has for you because of what Jesus went through for you, gives you the commandment. It, it, it like instills within you. The, the mission to love one another the way that you have been experiencing God's love for you. I know the body of Christ in general is not experiencing God's love because the fruit would be we'd be loving one another. The church is building memorials to being right. And look what we're doing, division. Is doctrine important? Yes. One, one guy says, Jesus is perfect theology. Let's build our theology on him. Ephesians 4.13. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every, fa- I mean, family knitted together. Look, look, do you see the in? just watch the insights of how God looks at people. From every, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, so out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That is what grace is. Grace is a divine influence on your heart, in your inner being, in your inner man, a strengthening from God's spirit in you. You need some strength inwardly, it's grace that you need. It is God's spirit that will strengthen you inwardly. Amen? So that, why? So why is God going to strengthen you inwardly? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And this is not talking about the born-again experience. The heart is expressive of the inner man. He kind of uses it interchangeably. Essentially, where you live from day to day. You need to be strengthened in your inner man, in your heart, in that deep part of you where you make decisions from, that part of you that automatically leads you to make certain decisions that you don't even think about, right? That's your heart. That's your inner man. He wants to strengthen that. He wants to transform that so that you're displaying. And and why? So that Christ can be involved, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. It all works by love. Faith works by love. May have power together. Say together. Do <laughs> you see it? With all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. And this is almost the fruit. And to know 
And no isn't just to have the mental, like the information. It's not just to mentally assent. This word no is the word nosco, and it has to do with an experiential working knowledge, right? Like when you go to college to be a doctor, you only have the information, and then they do their residency. <laughs> and, and that's where you gain the, the working knowledge of what you're doing, right? It, it goes from theory to practicality. This is, what not, this is the kind of knowledge that we, that we need. It's not just theory. It's not just, oh, yeah, I know I can quote that scripture. Do you know? Can you experience? Can you feel the love of God? Can you sit there in the midst of your darkness and your depression and your pain and your judgment and your anger toward the past, toward the world, maybe even toward yourself, and begin to let God minister to you and think about what he's done for you through Christ so that it changes your inner world and you find that sense of peace. Maybe it's just the burden lifts off. Maybe you need to go through a little bit of work to get yourself where you can forgive yourself and others. And, you know, I don't know, there's different paths, there's different methods to reach the one goal. And let's keep going, which is wholeness in him. So that may have power to 18 uh, or 19 and to know or to experience or had to working knowledge and to know the love that surpasses knowledge. It's better than knowledge. You know, we hear this verse and we're like, peace and love, if you can just be peace, you don't have to know. It's not what it's saying. Now, peace is more, you know the confident, like if you don't know something and then you get some information and you feel more confident, okay, now I know this, now I know what to do. Peace is better than that. It brings a confidence that's better than information can bring you. It's not like, oh, well, I got peace, so it didn't really matter the details. That's not, what, that's not what he's talking about. Personally, for me, when I'm at peace, it also comes with a clear, a clear understanding of whatever it is that I might have been racking my brain to figure out. Does that make sense? I mean, like, sometimes I'll just get these downloads, and it's just like the entire concept. You know, maybe, maybe within, like, what feels like five to ten seconds, this whole concept will be built and it might take an hour to speak it out or to write it out, you know. That's peace. Not just a feeling where you're like, okay, well, I feel pretty good right now. I have no clue what to do, but I feel pretty good. That, that's not really what it's saying. To know this love that passes knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, this is like God's ultimate goal for you, is that you would be filled with him, his fullness. I don't mean getting baptized in the spirit. I mean you experiencing the fruits of his spirit. Do you know what I mean? It's like we take these little doctrines and we make all these things about them. It's like, man, just so that you would be, you know, just like a tree, is full of the energy that it's flowing through it to the point that it bears fruit, that, that we would be so full of the Spirit of God. And it, the way you become whole, the way you become filled or under the influence of the Spirit of God that lives within you is that you understand His love for you, the depth, the height, the width, the breadth, Amen. that you understand His love for you. And then there's a sense of peace. And then there's, there's just this fullness, this wholeness that comes when you experience God's love for you, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And then you can give that to others. That is the strategy 
for the body of Christ is that we can personally experience and know God's love for us to the degree that it, be, that it makes us whole. When you have people that are in your life, when, when you're at peace and when you know God's love for you and those people that come in and they don't know God's love for them, remember, they need some wholeness. Yeah, but they're making a mess. Well, they need to know God's love for them. Yeah, but it, it hurts. Well, they don't know that God loves them. They are hurting. They're hurting people. They need to know God's love for them. They will feel it from you. Maybe, maybe the way you show them love is you remove yourself from the situation so somebody else can love them. <laughs> so you don't kill them. Now to him who is able to do immeasurable, right? I don't know that we realize how smart the Spirit of God is. Because look what he does. He's like, I don't know, it's like, your feelings is impossible, you know? Like when Jesus preaches the law to the level that the law should be preached, did they say, well, well, then who could be saved? He's like, yes, that is what I, that's the realization I wanted you to come to. Because with you, it's impossible. Well, with God, all things are possible. This is the same thing. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine. After he's talking about you experiencing the wholeness and unity in the body of Christ, every family in him. You don't know. He's like, just, just so I reassure you, God's able to do more than you can imagine. Well, I don't know how I'm supposed to love them. It's all right. God's able to do more than you can imagine. I, I love I watching the detail of the follow-up thoughts of how he reassures us over and over. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be all the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's my eschatology, that to him be glory in the church in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. In the way that there's glory in the church, to him be glory in the church. Not to him be glory in heaven. Not to him be glory after you're dead. To him be glory in the church. Does it say in the church on that one? Where'd it go? And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. God's speaking to us, right? This is interactive. This is, this is, this is it. it. Let me give you this. He looks serious. This might be something we need to actually, <laughs> where we can hear it. Jimmy. What I'm seeing. Hang, hang on, let him, let him get you in the house. You got him? All right. What I'm seeing in this, uh, you first made mention of gravity mm -hmm. and how it works. And there, there are some, some aspects of it that we can't see, but we can experience it or feel it. And about the love of God. And I was sitting there thinking, how can my love for the other saints reveal to outsiders? that God sent Jesus. And as, I was, and as I was thinking on that and as you were talking about it, 
I began to see that through love, we tell one another the truth. And that edifies us. It edifies the body. It builds us up. But also, love is that place, even in the scripture, that last verse of scripture about the power of God being unimaginably great. From that place of love, the power of God works in us in such a way that it begins to help us to affect and change and help one another. And then that love flows out from the church to the world. And that's how they can see that God sent Jesus. Remember when Jesus came, he shared the love of God first with the people of God, Israel. And from there, it moved out into the Gentile nations. And that love of God, it, it, it's, it's a real tangible thing or force. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but it causes us to touch one another, to help, not for the purpose of showing that I'm, I have more knowledge than you, but to help change one another, to build one another up. And then that power causes us. There was another verse in Ephesians where it says that God's power is so great that, uh, and it's greater than anything that we can ask or think. But we don't just ask for ourselves. The love of God causes us to ask for one another. And that power through that is so great that the world begins to see, hey, this is God. It is God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's a good word. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you that this is not just a message. This is a lifestyle. So we give you our hearts in this moment for this to become a, an actual reality for us. Show us. Even in this moment, start to give us a glimpse of what it looks like, of what your love in action through me looks like. And then I give you permission in my mind and in my heart and beyond my imagination to move on me and in me and through me. I don't want to limit you with my imagination. I don't want to limit you with my memorials that I've built to the past. I want to deal with that stuff and get rid of it so that I allow Christ to dwell in my heart in fullness, that I experience the wholeness that comes from knowing your love for me so that I can give it to others. We meditate on your love for us, Lord, while we were dead, while we were cut off from you, while we were virtually your enemy, you loved us and you died for us. We open our hearts to let that love be continual through us. And we are committed, just, just make this decision, we are committed to letting your love for us overflow as love for others. And we just trust that what you told us was true, that people will know that we're your disciples that way, and they will believe that you sent Jesus into this earth by our love for one another, by our unity with one another. Even though we might disagree, that's fine. Love is greater than disagreement. Love is greater than, than anything that would divide us humanly. Your love is greater in this body of Christ to keep us together. We can have incredible value for those that we disagree with 
as long as it's not biblical error and sin, and we can agree with that we are children in your family together so that the world would believe. I want our body and God, I, just, just for this church even, just for forward, God, I pray that this body is an expression of love toward one another and the world watches however that happens, God. We don't know how that's going to happen, but we don't want to limit you in our imagination that this, what happens in this body becomes a voice for the message that you sent Jesus into this earth because of our love for one another. I am committed to that, and I believe we are committed to that in unity, Lord. It's all about you, Jesus. Thank you for your love that brings wholeness so that I can love others. Would you say amen to that? You know, maybe you're here. Maybe you've not.